Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to another episode of Out of Oz, a Building 28 Church podcast. I'm your host, Peter Tragos, and with me, as always, is the pastor of Building 28, Aaron Curran. Where we address the fantasies and fairy tales of modern Christianity with courage, conviction, and compassion. I thought it was fantasies and fallacies, I Uh, believe, is is the words that were in the text. And with us today on the show, if you're watching, you're probably shocked at how beautiful these two guests we have on today with us are. They're our wives, Whitney Tragos to my right. Danielle Curran over there to Aaron's left. And if you're wondering how we ended up with two beautiful souls like this, we're going to jump right into today's podcast, which is... It's it's our Enneagram type. Personality test. We just have such great personalities. (laughs) That's the reason. I mean, clearly, if you're watching on video, you can tell it can't be anything else. I don't know about you, man. I've heard I've heard rumor that you were the prettiest man who's ever lived. <laughs> okay. So. Okay. All right. Started by you, probably. Whitney, um, thanks for being on the podcast today. Yes. I feel like I feel like we need to we need to introduce you. Um, you're you are a um I feel like we should introduce you with your number. So you're an you're a nine. I'm a nine. You're a peacekeeping, I'm peacemaking a hard, soul. Hard nine. A, a hard, I don't even know if there's a such thing as a hard nine. I am a Full nine, 100% nine. Okay, 100%. You're a yeah. 10, okay, babe. Gotcha. You're a 10. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That's true. And if you're unfamiliar with the numbering system, look, we're just here to have some fun today, a little bit of fun, and really to address this question before I get to my wife. The biggest question here, we're not trying to explain necessarily the Enneagram, even though we'll talk a little bit about it. It is, should Christians use it? There's a lot of discourse about it's occultic roots, satanic roots. We'll get into that. There's a lot of discourse about how it's it has become like the gospel of progressive Christianity for a lot of liberal Christians. Um, and so we're going to talk about all that. Uh, and we're going to hear those answers from the philosopher herself, Daniel Curran. <laughs> are, you, are you nervous? A little nervous. Just a, just you got to talk bit? louder than that. I am a little nervous. Uh, <laughs> mad about how close the mics well, like are, and then she comes out with voice. Uh, her good. podcast voice. <laughs> and do we know? Do we know our number? Uh, your number? Well, you told me I couldn't do a split number, but my real number, I think, is a three. An achiever. An achiever. Okay, so Whitney's a nine peacemaker. Danielle's a three achiever. And if you're already rolling your eyes, don't worry. So is Peter. So (laughs) what what do we got here today? So uh, number eight, Peter Dragos. We will. So we will talk about our numbers a little bit, give you a chance to get to know us just by purely what the number is on the Enneagram and about how flawed it is. Right. So we've taken the test multiple times. We've what all come up with different about? numbers. Eight, three, one, seven, three, pretty much nine every time. And then Aaron, which we'll talk about. <laughs> Because I was actually talking to Whitney about this last night when we mm-hmm. saw your score or whatever, your diagnosis, as Aaron would say. Your diagnosis. diagnosis came in as a number five, which is investigator or something. Yeah. Okay. So I think there's a big difference, and we'll get into what the Enneagram is, but this is just kind of a jumping off point. I think there's a huge difference when you go in and take the test, like I did, for instance, having no clue really about anything. I'm just answering the questions. Both answers seem like I wouldn't say yes to either, but I have to pick one. Or sometimes I want to say yes to both, but I have to pick one. So I don't understand how it's coming up with my personality. Spoken like a true eight. So from your perspective, you read all these books and listened to all these podcasts and know everything about the Enneagram. So when you're taking it, you know which answer is going to come out with a number five versus 
you've got some eight in you. You've probably got some one in you. Yeah, but let's be, let's be real. That's part of being a five. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's part. Just like when you Doing take, just like when you take Myers, Bridge or String Finders. Or Harry Potter. I feel like you, you can also <laughs> yeah, equate yeah. this to the yeah, Harry Potter when, when you take When you take your house quiz in yeah. Harry Potter, um, part of being a Ravenclaw is that you know how to guide this thing. And the Hufflepuff doesn't know how to guide it. Well, I don't really anyway. care because it doesn't. it's not going to actually <laughs> tell me anything about myself that I don't already know. So let's jump into the Enneagram specifically. Right. Okay. So Aaron, give us a background of where it came from, what the purpose of it is, how people use it. Sure. So I kind of want to, without going fully into like the origin of it, because um, we're going to talk about that in a little bit when we talk about should Christians use it and what are the reasons Christians would say you shouldn't use it. Um, part of that has to do with the supposed and, and it's not really supposed, it's pretty black and white, satanic occultic origin. Um, but I would say, just in kind of a, to encapsulate this, the Enneagram is an, is, is an ancient system. Enneagram means in the Greek, nine-pointed gram or, or writing. And um, it's, it's an ancient kind of personality typing system. And the nine types really emerged in the 1970s. And it, it gained a lot of traction in Christianity through a guy named Richard Rohr, who we'll probably talk about a little bit, uh, progressive... Uh, I think he's Franciscan priest, but anyway, um, and he really put it on the on the radar of Christians thirty years ago, and then in the last man since probably about two thousand fourteen, it has just kind of blown up. Um, what it is is it's a it's a, a kind of a path to self discovery, kind of like most personality tests um, in its in its most basic form, uh, and it it depicts all people in all the world as one of nine basic personality functionality. Um, kind of where you go, it's, it's, it's a personality that you developed as a child. And so there's one, which is called the reformer or the perfectionist. Um, there are rule followers. They can be a little more uptight, I guess. And by the way, I'm not, anybody's wondering, in case you want, I'm a pastor. So I'm speaking about this pastorally. I'm not professional when it comes to the Enneagram at all. So, um, but he thinks he is. No, I'm not. I really am not. I don't think I am at all. Um, but the one one is the rule followers, the reformers, kind of the perfectionist. They see the world um, very black and white, very right and wrong, and they want to do what's right, and they want to be looked upon as people who do what is right. Um, there's different needs that each type. We don't have has. to go into like. And we're not going to go into all of it, but um, your description number one is deep enough. If you want to just run through them real okay, quick. So number two nine. is the helper. Um, these are people that are, are typically very compassionate, empathetic, love to serve other people, love to help out. Um, but prop, part of the issue there is that they have this need to be needed. And so when they feel like they're not needed, they melt down. Uh, number three is called the achiever. Very image conscious people, typically. Uh, very driven, very self-assured, very charming, energetic, ambitious. Life of the party, the people who light up the room, they have to be valued by people. Number four is called the individualist. Uh, this is typically your artist, not always, but a lot of times an artist, somebody very creative, given over to melancholy. People who like to be sad. Nate Curran? Nate, my brother, yeah. Nate Curran, is a four for sure. He admits it, an individualist. They kind of see themselves as the Edward Scissorhands of the world. Yeah. You know, like, like they that. just, no one else is like them. No one else completely understands them. Um, the they they common, feel, a lot of them feel. Number. So there's a lot of debate on the least common number. So Whitney says four is the least trauma. That's what I've heard. I've heard a lot of stuff. And part of the part of the issue here, without peeling back too much, is that the Enneagram has very little scientific research data behind it. It's very highly subjective. And so even in taking this, probably all four of us and many people listening who have taken the Enneagram test, 
have gotten multiple different scores. Sure. So how do we know what is actually the the most prevalent and the the least? But four four is one of those. I've also heard that eights are one of the rarest. I've also heard that fives are. Uh, conversely, I've I feel heard, like I live in a world of eights. Yeah, yeah, you probably do in the <laughs> in the law world. But didn't you say? There's a what? What did they say? The better way is to try to figure out your number, not even taking the test. Yeah, a lot of people that are in the enneagram world that do the test say you should read them, figure out which one you feel like you most relate to, and then take the test and talk to people that know you well. So can we just put a pen in number four right now sure. and say how much that that direction sucks? <laughs> because because as biblicists primarily here above everything else, whether you like personality tests or not, if you're a Christian, like we rely on the Bible, we're terrible at self-diagnosis. Like we're terrible at at looking at ourselves and being like, this is who I am and this is how I function and this is where I'm. But that's the entirety of this. You're taking this test doing that. Whether you're you're reading it and talking to other people to figure it out or I'm choosing these answers for myself. We talked to some of our other friends and I think we all in here would agree. I think we could answer, I could answer them really well for Whitney. She could answer them really well for me and vice versa for you guys. And that, doesn't yeah. make any sense that we take these tests and answer them ourselves. Let's get through the nine real quick. All right. So we'll... the number four is the individualist, the artist, uh, the melancholy, the uh, the need to um, to be unique, really, and the need to be loved. Number five is the investigator. That's what I would self-identify yeah, as. Obviously, whatever. Rig the test um, as. It's a very yeah. five thing to self-identify with the five. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it, and it's, as you can tell, the fives are the ones that are really crappy. Nobody likes. Yeah. They like being by themselves. They actually Loners. are. Um, they, they like isolation a yeah. lot. They're very cerebral and not as practical. They get caught up in the very heady. Um, uh, a lot of times for a five, their issue is being able to actually execute with all the different thoughts they have in their head. They kind of see the world as it should be, but they're okay with acknowledging how broken the world is. And so... Uh, Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, and. Insightful, curious, secretive, innovative. That's fives. All right. The loyalist is a six. I've heard from many, including uh, a guy named Ian Cron, who we'll get to, who's a disciple of Richard Rohr, that the six is the most prevalent of all the numbers. Hmm. It's the loyalist. Um, They're kind of the skeptic. They're, They're fearful of everything, but they're loyal to their friends and loyal to their convictions to a fault. Like they will never, ever. And um, it's been said that the sixes are the glue that kind of holds community and friendships together. Hmm. Let me see here. The most anxious. They're very, like I said, they're very loyal, very responsible, (laughs) very suspicious. Um, They can be kind of cynical and up to half the world are sixes, according to the researchers and everything. So, um, but they're like your ride or die. Like when you think of like, who's, who's my ride or die? Who's like got me forever? That's typically a six, you know. Hence um, the name loyalist. All right. Number yeah. seven. Number seven, the enthusiast. Uh, the enthusiast. Are, I feel that's what I would have picked for Danielle. Mm-hmm. I don't know her in like her work life, I but agree. I would have picked she's like an enthusiast. I feel more like I of, saved my seven for, you know, my social life. Right. But that's what I, but I home, see you at dinner. I got to, you got to get stuff done. Sure. Sure. So I'm a three. Yeah. 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 Sure. So that, yeah. they would say that. The, the professionals would say that whatever your true self is, is you when you're relaxed and hmm. and without fear and 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 thriving. And then that when you're stressed, perhaps like when you have to get dinner ready and you have to teach the kids homeschool, you revert to a different number, which we're not going to get all into that today, but that you start acting like an unhealthy. So your friends number. may think you're something different than your wife. I even thought that Situation. while taking the test, like if Whitney was to answer this, like how do you communicate? 
Yeah. I think generally people would think I communicate well. She would think I communicate horribly. Well, Whitney to me seems like an enthusiast too. Cause she's always she like definitely has some and happy of that, and like, but it, uh, anyway, the enthusiast uh, is busy. They're adaptable. They're spontaneous. They can be kind of undisciplined and scattered all over the place. They're playful. They need freedom. Uh, the eight, which we talked about is who I would identify probably Trigos as Peter as is the challenger. Um, this is the person that kind of their presence fills up the room. They're not the life of the party, but when they walk in, they're a very domineering presence, very confident, very powerful people. Do not mind confrontation. As a matter of fact, oftentimes they enjoy conflict. Like this room is way too like sterile right now. We need to like blow something up. Like we need to like engage in something in some type of uh, debate. Um, imagine like a drill sergeant, typically. Like that's that's a that's a eight. Um, very decisive. They do not want to be controlled by anyone, and they certainly do not want anyone to think for them or make decisions. My for sister them. is like token eight. Okay, Louise. Okay, yeah, yeah, just token eight. So you saw I, a lot. I of have that. some eight, but she's like token. You eight. saw a lot of it during this election cycle, where it's oh, like that's true. no one is going to make a decision <laughs> yes, for me. Yeah, no one's going to tell yeah. me what to do. Yeah, a lot of kind of that eight challenger personality, um, which other types can revert to in their unhealthy state or or growing state or whatever. Um, and the number nine, which Whitney's talked about, is the peacemaker. And the peacemaker is very easygoing, a very stable person, typically. They don't like friction. <laughs> they they don't like friction, which I don't know That's how. That's for sure. How, yeah. Uh, yeah. So many eight, uh, nines I know are married to like eights and ones and yeah, threes. Exactly. Which is, why, which is why it's definitely different yeah. in your marital relationship than with your friends. They're good at seeing different perspectives, kind of empathizing with people at times. Mm -hmm. uh, they're able to bring people together and heal. They can be apathetic or even lazy when it comes to addressing a problem, though, or fixing something that's broken. Um, so they need internal and external harmony. So those are kind of the, the nine types of the Enneagram. Um, there's a lot more complexity that goes into this, which we're just not going to address. We don't have time. None of us are professionals. I think on a future podcast, we talked about having someone in who like absolutely hates the Enneagram and thinks it's demonic, as well as an Enneagram coach. One of my friends up in North Carolina is an Enneagram coach, so he might come down and um, and and hang out with us. So anyway, but that's, that's uh, the Enneagram in a nutshell. And really, it's about finding out, for most of these professionals, it's about finding out who you are, addressing that, trying to grow through that. So I guess that leads to like this next question. I'm not even going to ask Pete because I know his, he's so cynical about this. But um, Whitney, Danielle, in studying the Enneagram, and I guess we can throw other stuff in here too. Myers-Briggs, the 16 personality types, strength finders, DISC if you're familiar or whatever. There's, there's multiple personality functionality tests out there. Has any of this proven helpful to you guys, enjoyable to you guys, and why? I would say it could be helpful, especially in relationships, any kind of playful topic that can get you out of the normal conversation in marriage. Like if we're on a date, we just talk about the house and the kids. Well, now I can say, hey, this is my personality. Do you think, you know, it's similar? You know, is it, it's a good conversation starter in your relationship. And I just think you could use it, you know, for fun. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. I think it is. Of course you would, you nine. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Definitely don't disagree. Um, I I see it being a good tool in any relationship, marital. I think probably as, especially in a marital relationship where you have to kind of, you know, get into those things, know each other well. But it helps. Um, for me, it's more about knowing other people's personality types. I really enjoy learning other people's kind of like quirks and things like that because it makes it easier for me to yeah. communicate with them and and uh, I guess have empathy, have compassion. So I'm not just thinking 
why would you say that? Or why would you think that? It kind of gives me like a better tool of communicating. Yeah, it's very helpful. In a relationship. It gives me a lot of grace because of my issues that you know are, are, are played out by the Enneagram. <laughs> so like, I guess, so there are two kind of different answers, right? So we have one, yeah. it's nice to use for fun. It's a conversation starter, something you talk to your friends or family about. Another one that it's a tool you can use to help your relationships, help you get to know other people. Do you take issue with either of those as a pastor, Aaron, that this could be a good tool to use or is it just a fun game kind of conversation starter? Without, and we're about to dive into like just how heinous and wicked this Let's do system it. and typing is. But um, or on, on the surface, I would say anything in marriage that the Bible, the Bible doesn't prohibit, there, there's far too little communication in marriage as a general principle anyway. And Are we so, still talking about the Enneagram? I'm, well, Daniel brought it up like, hey, if you're on a date, if you're hanging out with your spouse. And so I think I think anything that like helps you, like we we're far more into we have been. Uh, we have a staffer here. Most people listening know Pastor Don. He's a, a Clifton Strength Finders coach. And so uh, he kind of got us into Clifton Strengths. Uh, before that, we were into uh, Myers-Briggs and we still like that a lot. And so we're more into those. Um, but it has opened up a lot of good, fun conversations. Um, it, it actually, for me has been very self-revealing. And and I know we're going to talk, we're going to go down the path of, oh, the Bible says you shouldn't find yourself and you, you shouldn't like discover yourself and all that. You should find Jesus or you should lose yourself. And I, I get all that. Um, but I, I do think there's a self-awareness that some of these things bring that it's, it's difficult to grow from something that's not healthy unless you can identify it and you see that. Um, and uh, clearly on its, in its most basic biblical sense, it's sin. But like really being able to find that and frame it out so that you can repent of it, grow from it, or even if it's not, maybe it's just a lack of wisdom or a lack of maturity or a lack of uh, of emotional health, whatever it is, just being able to kind of grow from that. So I find, yes, as a tool, um, as kind of uh, part, as part of that tool, like self-revelation, like not so that I can glory in myself. That's part of it. And not so I can save myself. That's where the liberal church would get this wrong. But so that I can just be like, Hey, this is, this is wrong. This is messy. Mm -hmm. Or this is how I'm naturally wired. I need to lean into this. How God's created me. I can, I can see the value in that for sure. What do you think with, do you think that there is any appreciable difference between this Myers-Briggs strength finders, whatever the other personality tests are to the average person that's doing this stuff? Yeah. I think the Enneagram I like all personality tests. I mean, I'm not like, but I think of the Enneagram, I just like them, <laughs> um, is more concise. I think it, it's a little bit more surp, like on the surface, you can get your answer. Aaron doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Aaron. Okay, it's fine. Um, you, you get an answer quicker. Yeah. It's a number. And I think one number can tell you, you know, multiple things um, about people. Whereas some of the other ones, like it's hard for me to remember even what my personality is on them. I just feel like the Enneagram is more to the point. What that's that's been part of that's um, been part of the the gripe against Strength Finders or Myers Briggs and why DISC is one of the most popular ones is it's very simple. Yeah. And the Enneagram is very simple. It's nine tie. I mean, for the most part, uh, there's a lot of complexity. There's yeah. books written about it. Goes it goes deeper. But yeah, it's but, easy to just like get like a, just your like personality. Four types. With Enneagram, yeah. it's nine types. With, right. with Myers-Briggs, not only is it 16 different personalities, but really trying to, to differentiate between like what these two variations are and the percentage of how much you're an extrovert versus an introvert and has been more confusing and befuddling for people. And and the same with with strength finders. It's it's just more complex, which I like more as a five. But uh, for a lot of people, they don't like that as much. 
For me, I feel like um, I maybe I'm more familiar, but I found this one to be harder to understand where when um, with the other tests, I'm like, oh, that's how you are. And I maybe because I had studied it more, yeah. but um, I liked the strength finders more. So and again, we're we're talking like preference at this point, but I more mean it seems like Aaron and you can correct me if I'm wrong. We can get into the satanic background of the mm-hmm. Enneagram now. What what is the you do think there's a difference, right? Like a, a foundational difference between the Enneagram and these other tests. Okay, so yeah, I mean, well, they would all say that. Like, what do you mean they would all? Who are, like, like the professionals behind them, right? So, but who is that more important for? Because who's this conversation really for? Because I think most people watching are not going to be professionals that read fifty books on it. They're going to be somebody that takes the test, uses it as a tool, talks to their husband about it, like they've said. So I want to. We can talk about the satanic origin or whatever so it may, you want to say. It might not be apples to apples, but like if you're going if you're going into court, do you want um, do you want someone who's read? a couple of law books and is highly subjective when it comes to law to represent you as an attorney? Or do you want somebody who's actually gone to law school, has put in the research, has done diligent study and has been, has passed the bar and they're an attorney now? The obvious, the obvious answer is the person who's done more research, who knows their, their material better is, is the person you want representing you. And so when you come to these, these tests, these functionality, personality tests, it's important to ask yourself, what is the purpose of them? What were they designed for? So like Clifton Strengths was designed more as a functionality test. It was not designed to define you at all, which is one of the things I like about it. You're not a competitor. You're not a learner. You have competition or you have learner and like you hone that. You are you though. Like, and so I like that a lot. And and when it comes to like Myers-Briggs, for example, Myers-Briggs is about how what your nature is like, whereas Enneagram is more about nurture. Like you, you aren't born with your Enneagram type. They would say, the professionals would say, the, the psychologists would say, you kind of develop that as a coping mechanism as you go along. And so there are different reasons for this. When it comes to Enneagram, I'm not knocking it or anything. I have friends who like it. and But what's whatever. the issue? Why do people but, think it's safe? But I, I just want to say that there's not as much research, data, okay. science, behind, not nearly as much behind the Enneagram as there has been behind Clifton Strengths, DISC, Myers-Briggs. And so that causes skepticism within us because – I think most of us would want to land where there's the most data research psychoanalysis that has gone on. And with Enneagram, it's just highly subjective. There are a million different tests out there that look completely different. Um, Would you disagree with me when I say that's still like just preferential? Like you're saying, I think ones have more research and this one gives better answers or better descriptions or doesn't. Getting down to the crux of it, like people are going to choose which ones they like better or think is easier or like the descriptions better. But we're talking about like for Christians, something to hold on to. Is there a satanic origin? Okay. Is the Enneagram satanic where you don't think the strength finders or Myers-Briggs are or whatever? So get let's talk so about why lot, do you think that? There's a lot of discussion about uh, the origins of the Enneagram tracing all the way back to the 4th century AD um, with priest and um, monk, a monk, I believe, the origin is what they would say. And then there's, there's examples of Christians using, not the nine personality typing system, because that really only goes back to the 70s. But the Enneagram is a source of explaining things throughout history for the last 1600 years, like different times. Um, Really, the Enneagram as we know it today traces back to about 1916, um, where a, I forget if he was a scientist or whatever it was, but um, basically this this fellow who formulated it in its newest form said it was a way of understanding art, music, expression, um, psychology, like the world. Like he literally believed everything could be explained through the Enneagram. Uh, you fast forward from through the 1920s and, and 30s and 40s, and the occultic origin that people would point to really began with a guy, I believe his name is Oscar 
Ichiro or something, something like that. Anyway, he was um, he was a psychologist and uh, and kind of a spiritualist uh, in the 1960s. Uh, who had a school in Chile, and he began once again not even teaching the personality types, but teaching the Enneagram as, as a way of self discovery. And then one of his disciples who came to his school, Naranjo, I believe it was, it was his name, in the 1970s, um, began to teach the seven expressions. And he said, um, both he and his mentor, that they would be, they had spirit guides, they had internal voices that would speak to them, they had kind of an archangel that would give them revelation. And um, Naranjo specifically said that, and you can find this on YouTube, like there's videos of him saying it at conferences, that he would fall into a trance basically and, and receive automatic writing. And that's how he came up with the nine types, which automatic writing typically understood, and I don't think he would deny this because he basically attests to this, is um, that you kind of place yourself under a spell of sorts and allow spirits to guide your hand and guide your writing. So because of that, a lot of people freak out. It has, it has a ton of roots in the new age movement. Um, in addition to all the kind of that dark, I don't know if it's origin, but reinvention of the 1970s, um, a lot of, a lot of not only occultic, but drug culture was, was kind of entrenched in how we understand the Enneagram today. Um, but in, in addition to that, Another gripe that people have is that the Enneagram is heralded by the super progressive church. When we talk about progressive church, we're talking about people who have just denied foundational doctrines of Christianity, like Richard Rohr and Ian Crone, people who are perennialist. They, they believe that. So the perennial philosophy is this idea, and this is important, that every single religion, philosophical system in the world, um, while it superficially looks different, fundamentally it has the same core and essence. And so there's a universal Christ, Richard Rohr would teach, that really whatever religion is, is pulling us back to. And How does so, that connect to the Enneagram? So, so what happens is when, when, you start, when you start teaching a non-Christian gospel, um, you have to, Jesus no longer is the way of salvation for the soul. There has to be something else. Whether that is, if we're honest, like the woke movement that has happened in the last couple of years, or um, whether it is a social gospel of serving people, and that's how you kind of merit salvation or your happy, peaceful state, or whether it's the Enneagram, which has become very popular in the progressive church as a, another gospel, as a, as a means of finding your true self and being your healthiest, happiest self and uniting yourself to the, to the person of Christ. Because there is no substitutionary atonement. There is no sin to really be saved from. There's only a sleepiness of the soul that you need to be saved from by discovering your true Enneagram self. And so th those are those are the cultic origins, the ideas behind this um, this really progressive, watered-down, Christianity. Mm -hmm. And then I think one of the big things, and this is probably the biggest concern for me personally, is the identification of it. Like I've teased Whitney a lot through this of, well, that's just, you're a nine, you're a nine. Once again, that's, that's fine. Like, I'm not going to demonize that. But we're a Christian, first of all. We've talked about this on previous episodes. There are just so many things pulling for our identity, our primary identity in our day. I'm an INTJA on Myers-Briggs. I'm a competition maximizer, learner, achiever, significance on strength finders. I'm a five, supposedly. And you're a personality test addict. I, I like all these things. <laughs> um, and I'll get into why. But uh, I like all these things, but it's very easy to get rooted in this is who I am rather than I am righteous in Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm a... And, and as we talked about before, I'm a husband, I'm a father. And so people start identifying themselves primarily as this. And in that identification, it's using bad behavior a lot of times. Right. And we'll get to that. So we'll yeah. get with our issues with it. But Danielle, how does that affect the way that you look at or think about or use the Enneagram? 
I feel like anything can be used for the powers of good or powers of evil. And, you know, you can be a good mom for evil reasons. And you can use the Enneagram just to connect with your friends or your spouse um, and really try to build your marriage, build your friendship. So I think as long as you're, you have a good reason for it and you're not trying to summon Satan or doing, you know, like spoken like someone who really loves Halloween. Yes. Um, well, I mean, I yeah. saw this video yesterday. I don't know if any of y'all saw it where this guy was like, should Christians use the Enneagram? Let's just ask you another way. Should we worship Satan? And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> not, no, I didn't know. That's a straight line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how do you feel like it affects things? What Does it change the way? Did you know that first off? And then does it change the way that you would read, have interest in, talk about, use as a tool, the Enneagram? Um, I had heard that. I don't. I didn't know the depth of the origin. But yes, I had heard that in circles. And no, it does not. Because I'm not using it as like finding my identity. There is no, nobody needs any help thinking about themselves. I mean, that's just, we do. Like we're always, we think about ourselves. I feel like it is just that, a tool to aid in communication, to help with relationships. And again, I like it more so learning about other people, like learning how I can love people better, understand people better, <laughs> have peace and harmony. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but really, I, that's, I like it. Like, you know, it's too much. Well, I'm not, it's not even connecting like in my me. brain and he's just like dying laughing. He's like, that's so nine. That's Aaron so and nine. I are inverted <laughs> human beings. <laughs> yeah. Like our we, we personalities are completely opposite. We took the official test the other yeah. night, which now is as good a time as any is to say that most professional Enneagram coaches would say, don't take a test, read about it, study it, and self-identify it, yeah. which is sounds just so the, the, the world. But yeah, truly, so. no, it is not like my identity and I right. do not. And I think no. that's the big like, issue with it is if you make it your identity, but you can do that with so mm-hmm. many things. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I think this one's easier to poo-poo than others. All right. So how would you compare the Enneagram and other personality tests as a tool Christians can use with critical race theory as a tool Christians can use? Sure. So the guy that was doing this video that I was joking with Danielle about that was like, should we worship Satan? He was like, so when are we going to have Christian brothels? And when are we going to have like Christian strip clubs? That's what we have, the Christian Enneagram. And I'm like, like, so I would just encourage the listeners or viewers to be consistent as you break down things. Like there's, there's a difference between ambiguous things the Bible doesn't black and white explicitly condemn, like perhaps the Enneagram, and things like a brothel that clearly the Bible condemns. (laughs) Like there's no such thing as Christian sin. There's just a lot of these issues of liberty that we look at and go, can Christians practice this? Christians cannot practice sin. So um, as far as when it comes to, because we talked about this on the social justice episode, Mm -hmm. when it comes to critical theory, there are proponents that would say, hey, we can just use it as a tool. Um, for me, the whole basis of understanding critical theory, not just the origin, but the basis of understanding oppressor and oppressed and everything else is extreme Marxism. It's born out of an atheistic worldview. It's not born out of a healthy biblical um, understanding that we're flawed and we're sinful and we've come from this broken place and we need redemption in Christ. The Enneagram can, I would argue, can be used for that. The Enneagram points to there's flaws in us. It is not redemptive as some of the liberal church would teach. Um, it's not a gospel in itself. Um, it is not the way of salvation at all. It's and it ju- doesn't lock you in. It's I just mean, you t- take the test. It doesn't lock you in that now you're a five forever. That's how we're going to treat you. And that's how everybody's going to look at you. Kind of how critical race theory can be. 
and and another issue I would have is that there are there are components without going too deep into this in critical theory, um, not just critical race theory, but right. any critical theory that are erroneous that fly in the face of scripture. They're not when it just comes to like the enneagram as far as or a, a functionality personality. It doesn't test. even enneagram doesn't even tell you it's right or wrong to be. I mean, the enneagram doesn't say Danielle, it's right to be a three. Like that's what you should be. You should try to be a three. Like that's, you know, it doesn't say you're wrong to be a nine because you want peace or whatever. You know, it doesn't really raise one above the other. People look and laugh and say, I want to be this one or it sucks to be that one or whatever it may be. But it's not really saying one's right, one's wrong, one's better than the other. You know, it's really, from my perspective, and we can get into now what we think are the useful parts of it. It really can tell you what you need to work on. Yeah, It can help you, like Danielle saying, maybe reach some subjects with your partner that you want to talk about, but it may be hard to talk about, but using the Enneagram is funny. Like, oh, you know how you always want to be isolated and never like hang out and stuff? Well, that's because you're a five, <laughs> but like, I need you to hang out it's with me. It's certainly <laughs> more exciting than marriage counseling. I feel like we- exciting way. Yeah. yeah. Well, just to like discuss things, um, you can do it at home. And like we did a book one time where we had to give words of affirmation every night mm. and it was painful. Like I had to be like, there's nothing you, you, I can imagine. Well, it was awkward the way, the way that one was done. So I feel like you could read a paragraph um, in the Enneagram and there are different steps or levels within your number. And so if you're living your best life, um, I would be very self-assured as a three. Well, I would say, you know, do you agree with that? And then, you know, he could say, well, actually, you're kind of more of a level five. You're very insecure lately, which I'm not. And, um, I that. you know, so I feel like it's a little bit of a easier tool mm -hmm. to speak with your spouse and, you know, go over the positives and also the negatives in a, in a more fun way, less expensive than counseling. And then you could also talk about it with your friends as well. I, I think one of the things we have to go back to before we talk about the usefulness of it or whatever is we identified why Christians are against it, but we haven't necessarily identified why, like what our response to that would be. Like why it's okay to use something that has such dark origins or, or that, that the liberal progressive church has pushed forward. And so um, just really quickly, Whitney, how would you justify, okay? And yeah. I, I know this is probably really hard for your uh, peacemaking yeah, I'm, self. I'm already how would you justify using something like this that has somebody comes to you and they're like, it's known it has occultic reorientations. Uh, the nine came from automatic writing, demonic possession, whatever. Um, how do you how do you possibly justify using something like this? So as a nine, I really yeah. like to preface everything I say with I could be wrong, but oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, Peter's but never I, uttered those words. I, is that possible? Not, not usually wrong. I don't think it's possible. So it's probably um, why. But I do think it goes back to your motivations and your reasons for using them. Like if you are basing your life, you know, your entire being and what what you stand for and what you live for on this horribly originated theory, you're in trouble no matter what that is. If you're putting all of your marbles in something that is other than Christ and other than biblical, you're in trouble. So I... I think if your motivations and your reasoning for using them are a tool, a fun thing, something light, something you are not getting any sort of salvation or redemption from, in, then it is not. So they would respond, and I'm sure you've seen some of these videos and read some of the blogs. Mm -hmm. They would respond with, but it's sin because of its origin. It's sin because of this occultic nature to it 
So you can't use sin for good purpose, you know? And I think that's, I think what you're saying, and, and I would agree is, we've talked about the genetic fallacy on this show before, just because something has a pagan, which most things that we use do have yeah. pagan origins or even occultic dark origins, um, most things that we use in the world today. But that does not mean that they are inherently bad. Things themselves are not right or wrong. Tools themselves are not right or wrong. Now, once again, there's there's arguments to be made around everything, and, and critical theory is one of those things we can talk about uh, or we have talked about. But when we talk about the Enneagram, just because a guy says, which we don't know if he's legit or not, he could be full of crap, but he says, I, I received this through automatic writing, whatever that might have looked like, whether it's just meditation, whether it's even possession, just because these nine types emerge, and a lot of people be like, it's so accurate because the demons know us better than we know ourselves, you know, and, and okay, whatever. All right. The people that say that probably aren't watching this episode, but I don't think that just because it came from a satanic root or source that it's necessarily bad. At the same time, I don't think that just because it is a false gospel of progressivism that it's bad if you're not using it as a redemptive tool. If you're just using it as a way of, of hey, this it reveals a lot about me. And that's the final thing. And I talked about identity earlier, but one of my favorite books, The Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin, he opens with this. Our wisdom is, so far as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts what we should pursue, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. And I would agree, and I think a lot of theologians would agree that we need to see ourselves not in a brilliant, amazing light, but hey, here are things I need to work on. Um, it's kind of like when you go to uh, um, a marriage counselor, you pick up a marriage book. I don't think anybody's going to condemn that. It's not scripture. Like that book is not scripture. The counselor is not inspired, but it's a resource. It's a tool that you can go to. The person is, the book is, that will help you communicate better in marriage. That is how I would see these functionality tests, not as identification markers, not that you have to um, believe everything that comes down about them, certainly not as redemptive ways of salvation and certainly not being practiced as, as spiritualism, demonic, uh, anything like that. But I, I think it's something that Christians can. So with that now, with that, I think it's important that whether people agree or not, but with that mentality of, okay, there's nothing seemingly that has discredited it in a, in a sacred sense. You know, now we could go back to why we're using well, it. Well, I like I like what you said because it's just like the prosperity gospel, right? We would condemn the prosperity gospel. We don't think that you become a Christian and therefore you're prosperous on earth and everything's great. Yeah. You make a lot of money. You're successful. But there's also no, nothing wrong with being prosperous on earth yeah. if you're a Christian. You know, there's well, nothing wrong with that. Or we like the wouldn't... poverty gospel, which has become right. very popular. Exactly. Of, Serving the poor, meaning the needs of the poor, being more like uh, giving away a lot of your resources. Mm -hmm. If you're doing all that stuff to merit favor with God, right. uh, salvation and standing, then it's a false gospel. To become impoverished just because you think you need to do that in order to be a real Christian. Exactly. You missed the boat. Or the moral gospel. Right. Nothing wrong with morality. Nothing wrong with like, as a matter of fact, it's good to not sleep with your girlfriend before you're married or right. um, to, to be an upstanding citizen. There's a lot citizen. of consequences on earth you're avoiding by, yeah, by but none of that makes you code. a Christian. Right, exactly. And so the Enneagram, if you're looking at it as your means of salvation, right. then it's a false gospel and it's atrocious. It's actually sinful for you. Um, but if you're looking at it as a tool of development, even a tool in helping in sanctification to become more like Jesus, to to fight down sin, to, to fight down natural propensities, like it can be a good thing. And see, that's, I think, the point. So that's, so we'll transition into how should Christian, or how can Christians, I don't want to say should, <laughs> how can Christians actually use this as a tool and make it something that is beneficial and sanctifying 
because we we live our life as a Christian first, right? That's our identity first. All of us in this room would agree with that. And we view everything through a Christian lens. And we, we were talking earlier about how being a Christian affects the way you look at the Enneagram, at the nine types. How does that affect the way you would use it as a tool? Or look at all these personality tests. Mm-hmm. How does it change it, you think, being a Christian versus somebody that you know uses it as gospel or is not a Christian using it? So I, when we were talking about it, I was saying how I think it's interesting. I personally feel like people's personality doesn't change when they become a Christian. Like, I think people's personalities are their personalities. God gave them to them, and that's what they are. And I always think about, um, in a biblical context, Paul, when he was Saul, he had the same personality. Like before he was converted, he was passionate. He wanted to do the mission. Like he was going to kill every Christian he could find because that was his mission. He was ambitious about it. And when he was converted, he had the same personality, except now it was for Christ. Like he was on mission for Jesus and it was the same thing. He was passionate. He was going to convert every person he could to know Jesus. And so when I think about, you know, the personality, I don't, I don't feel like, it changes when you become a Christian. I just think that your way of navigating, your way of understanding what leans you maybe have to sin change and you're more aware of them and you try to like guard against that. You try to live a different way. But overall, your personality is still your personality. You're just learning to navigate it in a different way. So being a Christian, Danielle, does that, do you think that Christians use the personality test different than somebody that's not a Christian? Absolutely. I think you can um, use it for self-reflection. So some of the negative attributes in the personality, um, you can read them and say, I do do that. Mm -hmm. Or when I'm stressed, I do go here. And really self-reflection, and you can repent if those are sin moves, or they might just be personality moves. But especially if it is a sin, then you can repent of it and move on and say, okay, this is, I want to be level two you know, by next month and have this be my reaction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can really focus that in your spiritual life. Yeah, One, I, one of the biggest gripes with the personality test is that they don't, a lot of them don't give you a path forward. They're That's good, at, That's they're, great they're good at identifying what the issue is, telling you where you should be and where, where you are healthy, but they don't give you a path forward and they don't give you a reason why. That's great. A reason why you should be different <laughs> than how you are. Mm. Uh, and, Christianity fills in those gaps right, in, exactly. in a profound and robust way of, of okay, I shouldn't be um, a tyrant to be around, or I shouldn't be apathetic in giving right. the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like a, um, I shouldn't just be like completely reclusive and isolated into myself and not want to be around people because discipleship needs to ch- take place. Uh, here's the reason why: because it glorifies God that discipleship take place. That I tell people about the gospel. That that I I make true peace, not a not a fraudulent um, world centered peace. And so, um, the gospel gives us in, in Christianity. The Bible gives us the reason why we there. Sanctification is the biblical word, but why progress should be made, and it gives us a path of that for that progress. Accountability, community, the church, scripture, the Holy Spirit leads us in this, and so these functionality personality tests, specifically the Enneagram, just they're helpful in identifying, and they're helpful in showing us, hey, this is what it would look like. I think for us to be. By the way, there's a great resource out there. I just want to throw to people. Um, it's called it's it's by my friend up in North Carolina. It's called the Gospel Enneagram. I think it's just gospelenneagram.com. And really what it does is it takes the Enneagram and says, here's the issue. Here's here's our natural self as a nine, where we would where we would kind of land in, in not just unhealth, but in sin and selfishness. 
and what kind of redemption through the gospel looks like to becoming healthy in that and sanctified in that. That's how Christians so, should use every tool. Yeah, yeah. That's that's honestly, yeah. How, yeah I mean, for, for me, I was going to say, for me, when I came on the Myers-Briggs several years ago and I started write, reading about the INTJ, one of the things it said, and this was right, right before we had kids, I think, but one of the things it said is, you know, INTJ struggle in relationships and they live in the past and in the future and they, they struggle in the present a lot of times and they struggle to be present with the people they love. And for me, that was awakening. It was helpful because I was like, I need to like put my phone down. I need to stop planning. I need to stop thinking about the, the past. I need to like be present with my wife and present with my kids. And so that's really helped me over the last six years of having children of when I come home to not be thinking about what I'm going to do tomorrow or what I'm going to be doing next week, but to to be present with them. And so it's, it's illuminating in that sense, things that the scripture doesn't necessarily talk about in that way, that specificity. But we'll see the, the ideas of in scripture, some of these tests really kind of dive down deep into. And I think two of the biggest issues with how Christians use it or with these Enneagram tests, realistically, right? So to me, the satanic origin or whatever doesn't even come into play, right? I don't, I don't think about that. I don't think most people that do these things well, That's because you don't even believe in demons, so. <laughs> so while I don't think that's as big of a deal, I do think, and, and Tommy P from our church already kind of let this cat out of the bag on Facebook, which I thought was a really interesting post that he made, and I agree with that. One of the biggest issues with the Enneagram and all these strength finders, and that's why I kind of look at them all the same, because you can use or misuse the tests equally. So I think if you, I mean, I know you say the research is so much better on the other ones, but so, yeah. That's what I hear. So the biggest issue is Christians excusing sinful behavior, or like Danielle said, things that we know are not how we should be acting, whether it's sinful or not, because, oh, well, that's my, my lowest on my strength finders. Not that I've ever heard anybody in this room say that, but that's the lowest on my strength finders, or that's just something that mm -hmm. doesn't go with my personality, or I'm a this, so, this number, so I can't do that. That's wrong. Like, I think we would all agree with that. We would all say yeah. using it like that, using anything like that to excuse our sin is, is problematic. Less um, obvious is I think some of the personality traits or characteristics in here that, you know, we talk about a lot having issues with and dealing with is some things that are celebrated mm -hmm. personality traits that we know are wrong or can go too far, you know, like, especially some of the numbers we are and Danielle three, eight, like being, you know, heady and a challenger. I have to always challenge everything, or I have to come in and be the life of the party or be the biggest one. Like there's, there are things that people celebrate about that. Cause everybody, Oh, I make people nervous because I'm so domineering. It's like, yeah, but you don't always want to act like that as a Christian. So yeah. I think that, and that's what I was thinking as I was taking the test, I'm thinking like, this is how I am, but not really how I try to act or how I think I actually act now as I grow and I'm going through the sanctification process. But like, if I wasn't a Christian, I would act even more like this. And I felt like that was playing in my head too, which just shows like going through the Christian lens and thinking about it like as a Christian person it still is different. Like your personality is the same, but I think your actions can definitely change. Well, it's, it's interesting that even the progressive church um, that is pushing for this, they might not call it sin. Some of them actually call it sin, which is interesting, but that they would say there are besetting struggles or besetting sins that each yeah. type struggles with more than others. So they would say like the type eight struggles with lust more than others and not necessarily a lust for sexuality, though it can be that, but a lust for power, for control, like um, that a three struggles with recognition, that a four struggles with um, fear, like a, a, you know, a prevalent fear. And, and so there's, there's all these different kind of sin struggles that are more prevalent in our personalities. And I think we understand that scripture even talks sure. about that. There's setting sense for our personality types 
that I don't think they're limited to that, but I don't no, no, okay. I don't I don't think and, and yeah, the Enneagram, Myers Briggs, String Finders, Disc, they're not perfect. They're not inspired, right. like nothing like that. But there's helpful tools even as a Christian to identify, hey, here's some things that are gonna cause friction in my marriage, friction in my workplace, friction in my relationships, um, that I need to work on by the power of the spirit, not the power right. of self. Um, not by discovering my true self, but by the power of the spirit to mortify sin and to walk with Christ and the walk in humility. And what were you going to say? I was going to say along the lines of what you were talking about, those personality flaws or whatever, I don't know what you called it, but can be used really well for Jesus. Like you were given those things. Sure. And, and yes, you have to guard against the sinful nature of certain things in your personality. But I think all personality types, all of us were created with skills to bring glory to God. And I think when you're using those things or you know that that is a strength of yours, and if you can use it in a way that, you know, brings glory to God, that is ultimately what Hands we should be doing. Hand's not the foot. Foot's not the hand, right? Yeah. We're all different. We all got Eight's not the five. That's right. We're <laughs> hey, all we're parts all, of the body, we're baby, working to, together. Working out here, you know? You got any, any final thoughts for the crowd, uh, Danielle? I just think um, it's a really exciting way to connect with others. And I think yeah. all Christians, all humans want to find that connect and um, that connection. And it can be a happy tool to say, hey, I'm a three, you're a three, or some of the numbers show that we're, you're compatible. And it's just an easy way to say, I want to connect with you. And hopefully if you're a Christian, you you move on to this is how we can connect on a spiritual level. This is how I'm connecting Um you know, to be a Christian wife and mom. Mm -hmm. Cool. This is we'll, fun. Pro we'll probably have you ladies back on the podcast soon yeah. to talk about homeschooling versus Christian school versus public school. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah. Um, which one is biblical? So a little teaser out there. Thanks, Wit. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. As if you could have said no. Yeah, no. That's yeah, not you're not allowed. You're not. Your inner self would not allow that. <laughs> I so, said no. So yeah, yeah, Danielle yes. did say no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're she coming can be on. convinced. It's, it's she be fun. can be convinced. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. It was fun, fun time. Fun time. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Odds is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.